All right, everyone. Welcome to another edition of What's What VR. We have a special guest today with us from the Brighton Academy. Cheryl, how are you? I'm well. How are you today? I am. I told somebody the other day, I'm, I'm loving the weather. It's cool enough to where I feel like I should be working outside and I'm stuck inside. So. Yep, I hear you. I hear that well. It's, it's been wonderful. So tell for anybody who doesn't know, give us what's the kind of Reader's Digest version of who you are and what you're doing over at the Brighton School and okay. a little bit about the Brighton School. Absolutely. So, um, yes, and I noticed at the beginning you said Brighton Academy, and at one point in our history it was Brighton Academy, but it is the Brighton School. <laughs> um, we are a um, first through 12th grade institution that is focused for students with dyslexia and other language-based learning differences. Uh, we serve right now 182 students. Um, in this administration's five-year term, we've doubled the size of the school. So um, we're really happy with the fact that our name and the services that we provide students who learn differently is getting out there into the greater Baton Rouge community. Um, presently, we serve students in seven parishes. So we have kids coming from across the river as far east as um, Mandeville. Um, from, um, we have one student who is from North Louisiana and stays here during the week and goes home on the weekends. So, um, you know, we are a very busy institution growing and um, really striving to help as many students as we possibly can in the space that we have. That is, I can't imagine driving in from, I can't imagine driving across the river every day here. And much. Yeah, they, yeah, they have to really plan for that for sure. Um, but, you know, what's so wonderful is that families are committed to getting the, their children the services that they need, that throughout the course of their children's lives, you know, some of those kids are in high school now um, and you know, depending on when they enter the school, at what entry point they select, you know, some of those kids have never had um, services to the depth that we provide here at Brighton. Um, they may have gotten services through their 504 plans or their IEPs in the public school. But I think what sets us apart here is the fact that every one of my teachers is specifically trained in dyslexia practices. So whether even Mr. Henderson, our executive director, he's taken 54 hours of training on how to work with children with dyslexia. And so this year he's teaching a civics class to seniors and he's having to apply those skills and strategies with his senior students. Um, so we have a very highly trained staff who range from the 54 hours like Mr. Henderson, all the way up to we have you know certified academic language practitioners, excuse me, certified academic language therapists, and um, teachers, myself and Ms. Hastings, who can teach teachers in dyslexia therapy. So, you know, we are um, very proud of that investment in our teachers, so that they can provide the most effective. Um, the most up-to-date and the most appropriate practices and strategies and approaches to our kids. Sounds like a very busy place with it a lot of people busy. that care. Yeah, yeah. We really do believe that um, the faculty that's here um, have been called here. Um, you know, it's a very complex a complex institution in that there's not one child that looks like another child. 
um, academically or socially um, or um, within their executive functioning skills. Um, so when I kind of look, when I walk into a class, it's kind of like a beautiful gumbo of, of different personalities, different skill sets, different needs. Um, and our teachers have to be very nuanced and very skilled at how they tackle a class of 10 or a class of eight kids. And our classes are not big by design. You know, my first grade has six kids and that's our max. We're capped at six. Wow. Um, our our um, second grade is, is capped at eight and our largest classes will be are capped at 12 and that's into the high school areas. So we do that intentionally because every kid is so different and our motto being teaching students the way they learn, I don't necessarily have two students that learn precisely the same way. So there's a lot of complexity in it and a lot of tapping into the resources that we have on campus, but also to external resources that so that we can get those kids what they need. Time is of the, time is of the essence. You know, if I've got a kid coming in first grade, um, we read some research today that said for every year, um, of intervention after first grade, it gets incre increasingly more difficult to make up that time for a student. And so if I get a child at 10th grade, you know, time is of the essence. We've got to make up a huge amount of progress in a very short window of time. So, you know, we have to really be prepared for those kids no matter where they enter because time is, it becomes urgent for them. I'm severely dyslexic myself okay. personally. And so I've had to, you know, kind of, kind of deal with it on my own, you know, to figure out, I don't, I wasn't diagnosed until I think it was like 18 or 19, you know, mm -hmm. with a formal, you know, diagnosis, but so I've got to had to learn my own path of kind of how to do things. And then most recently we put out, we started putting a publication out about, uh, I guess, six or eight months ago now. Um, called Kid Scoop News because it was staggering to me. I found someone brought me a statistic that was talking about how the third grade reading levels. Mm -hmm. And I bring this up only because I know, like, for me, you can have me a page and ask me to read it. And people will say, like, are you done? And I'm like, no, I'm still reading it. Just, right. you know, bear with me. Right. It takes me a while. But, like, those third grade reading levels is where they start the algorithm to figure out how many prison beds That's exactly that they're going to make. And it blew me away. And then they described it to me as up until third grade, you're learning how to read. Mm -hmm. And then from third grade on, you're reading to learn. Correct. And if That's you get behind, correct. if you get behind there, it's just, it, it drops. So it's like the curve just falls. And so mm -hmm. we were saying time is of the essence. It's yeah. It blew me away. To the point that we were, you know, we actually now put a publication out to, you know, all, all first through fifth grade, you know, mm -hmm. for, you know, kids to actually kind of learn some of those activities and different things of that nature. So, because it's so important that that one shift can make that big of a difference. And that's absolutely correct. And that's just on the academic side, you know, so think about the child who has fallen behind that curve that doesn't get a diagnosis or doesn't get intervention or doesn't find someone skilled to do that additional tutoring in a therapeutic program. And they've gone through fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, and eighth, right? 
And now there's a whole lot of um, internal um, issues that you have to deal with. I always talk about this sort of vision of every child walking through our doors and they have an invisible backpack. And in that backpack is every school-based, home-based situation that surrounds their academic growth and development or their social emotion, social emotional development. And when the older kids get, the more frustration, the more negative thinking, the more, um, the, the deeper their perception that they will never read, that they are lazy, that they are stupid, that they can't handle certain things. And so when we meet with families that come and visit us, we talk about that and that every kid has to dump the backpack out. And really, even every parent has to dump the backpack out, their own backpack, so that they can take out what's positive, put that back in, and replace what's negative with other positive um, school experiences. Because we it's, it's sort of like you know, a diamond that's been buried in mud and you don't know you have a diamond until you, you know, you clean it and you peel out the layers and then all of a sudden you have this jewel, right? And that's the way we look at our kids is that, you know, if I've got a child coming in at first grade, you know, they may have had maybe not such a positive experience at pre-KK um, and you do see the impact of that, but we've got, we have the ability to change that very rapidly in a young student. But if I've got a seventh grader, an eighth grader, even a fifth grader that has gone through a lot of schooling and hasn't gotten the help that he or she needs, we've got to, we've got to, we've got to dump the backpack and we've got to show them that we know what we're doing, that we believe in their ability, that our job is to support them and give them the tools that they need. And there's often some hesitancy in that because they're not you know, that kids size you up, right? And they're trying to figure out, are you, are you, you know, do you mean what you say and say what you mean? And once they figure that out, and once they know that there are a lot of other kids like them, that they're not the only one, which a lot of kids believe they're the only one that has a learning difference, and that these people here understand them, and they're going to support them, then we start to see those experiences in the backpack become more positive. Then you have more risk taking, then you have more openness to the learning process. And that's when you really start to see more results until they can, until they understand who they are from a learning difference standpoint. And until they have faith in, in us, then, you know, we have to work at that, but eventually they come around and eventually they're like, you know, Oh, my gosh, this is where I'm supposed to be. Some kids feel it immediately upon walking on campus. They're going to be they like, oh, my gosh, this is the best. Some kids, you know, are a little more um, uncertain. But by and large, you know, what we hear from our families, and especially kids that come to us later, they'll tell us we've gotten our child back. You know, we, we mm -hmm. now see our child again. And Home life improves, the child's perception improves, the family's perception improves. And now you're more like a, you're just a typical kid. You're just in a school that is designed for you. You know, you're not in a school that's designed for some other reason. We're going to take you as far as you can, as fast as you can, um, and get you as prepared as we can for whatever your next step is. And we're going to do it in the way that suits you best. So, no, and I think that's... You know, it was 
hard for me, you know, learning, you know, just as a child, like it, things, you had to do it differently, you know, and then it would get to where, you know, I don't want to do the homework or it was, right. you know, I don't want to do it. And then it wasn't that, you know, it would get mad at parents, you know, it was like, well, I didn't want to mess with the homework. Well, then no, they need you to do the homework. Well, you're not doing the homework. And then that turns into it. Everything just keeps escalating. And it's like, no one's unearthed the original problem, you know, of what right. it was that it's not even a problem. It's just, Hey, we need to recognize and we're going to have to, you know, do this a little bit differently. And yeah. so it, um, well, the interesting it, things about, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to say it's, it's different. You know, it really is. And once people realize that it's not a problem, it's, you've just got to change the angle of attack, I guess, maybe, you know, would be. Well, a and I think there's that. a big part of it for families is, is that they don't necessarily understand what it is. You know, so when we talk to families that come and visit us that have received a dyslexia diagnosis, we help them understand, um, and we do this in our parent forums. Next Thursday is our first parent forum of the year where we talk about the neurology of the brain and what a dyslexic brain looks like. You know, you now can get brain scans, functional MRIs, and you can see parts of the brain that are firing or not firing as it comes to language and reading. But what we try to help our families understand is, A, this is neurobiological. It's genetic. And if you trace somewhere along your family tree, someone had that genetic switch. And it happens in gestation. It happens at six-month gestation where the switch gets flipped on or flipped off. And that, for some people, is hard to grasp. You know, that, that this is something that really they have no control over, that it's part of the DNA. And you might have one child that's dyslexic and you will have two more kids that are not. And so that we try to help our parents understand. Um, we also try to help our parents understand that the neural pathways are there. They just need to be, they just need to sort of be rerouted. So one analogy I, you know, I sort of say to my families is, you know, you're starting in Baton Rouge and you want to head to Houston by way of Chicago and Little Rock and then down to Houston. You know, you're going the long way around. And what we try to help our families understand is that it's okay. It's not necessarily the most efficient way. You're still going to get there. But what we want to try to help our kids do is kind of shortcut. Maybe they only have to go to Little Rock instead of Chicago to get to Houston. Mm -hmm. So, you know, part of our mission here at Brighton is to help our parents understand the complexity of their children um, and help them understand what it's actually feels like to be dyslexic. So at our first forum, you know, we do dyslexic sim stimula simulations where we put them in situations where they can't read the text or they can't, um, they can't understand how to create a specific um, shape because the perception, the position of perception we put them in is different. And when they, when they experience that, all of a sudden they're like, my gosh, how much, how tired they are, how much brain power it took to do the task. Um, and then the epiphany comes in is, you know, my kid does this every day, you know, for six, seven, eight hours a day. And I've done this for 20 minutes and now I get it. I understand. And so it, it's very eye opening to families. And once, you know, if that's been a struggle for a family and they have that experience, you know, there's a lot of relief, but there's also a lot of um, regret 
because, you know, they've, they haven't necessarily all had the right information or the necessary information for them to um, help their child. And, you know, our response to that is you've done the very best that you could with the information that you had. And now you've got more information and we can help you along this process. So, um, you know, really we're as much educating the families as we are the children um, so that that family cohesion can be there too. So it's, it's, it's yeah. highly complex. I mean, that's the word I keep coming back to is it's complex. And I'd forgotten how difficult it was, you know, I kind of, now, once you get out of school and you get into a career and you're learning, you know, when you, you know how to do those things. And for years, it was, you know, it, it almost like it, I didn't, it didn't affect me, you know, but where I can right. tell you it came back and it came and hit me hard is I went and decided that my new hobby was going to be flying airplanes. So I had to go learn how. And it put me right back into the books and right back into the math and reciprocal numbers and, yeah. you know, form. And it, I, it hit me. And I, you know, every month I just sit there and kind of go dig into it and go, you know, this is going to be, this is going to be hard. This is going to be really hard. And I got to figure out how to do this again, you know, because I hadn't, I hadn't had to learn something completely new and, it was just, I talked to a couple other people that had been in the same boat and they explained to me, they were like, I'm letting you know, you know, you can do it, but it's going to be really hard. It's going to be harder than you think it's going to be. It's going to be harder than it would be for somebody else because there is so much where the you get some things transposed. It makes mm -hmm. a difference, but you know, when you're in the air, it makes big differences. Yeah. So yeah, it was, uh, it was a shock, but I was able to get through it, you know, kind of just, be an adult and had to do it on my kid, but what, from a parent's perspective, you know, nobody sat and watched me, you know, when I was learning to, you know, do this kind of flight school and learn, I just had to do it on my own. Nobody was watching, nobody was running through, but what would a parent do or somebody who's maybe listening now, like, where's that, you know, did you see them? You know, is it just, are they saying they don't want to do homework because they don't want to do homework or they're saying they don't want to do homework because they don't understand, or is it, you know, they do it in this whole, you know, show your work, you know, thing. It's like, maybe they got the answer, but they didn't know how to show the work, you know, like, what should they be looking for? that would maybe say, we need to come talk to you. You know, we think there might be something here. Yeah. Because so, we constantly have our kids for all of us that have multiple kids and I've got twins. And one thing they told me with our, the twin boys was never compare. Don't yeah. compare them. Don't compare them. And it's like, kind of have to at some point like there's yeah. something you know different here. yeah it's it's that's really hard for parents and I you know and it doesn't necessarily have to be a twin it's you know siblings you know they're all different mm -hmm. um and so I think one of the things that um parents should trust is their instincts um I think parents get a clue or they get indicators that um, a child may be struggling much earlier than they realize. So, you know, how quickly did their child obtain language? Um, when did they start cooing? And when did they start um, mimicking their parents? And when did they start putting together simple words or small phrases? You know, was language early to come or was language delayed? Um, how about their body coordination? 
question. And I'm talking, I'm talking like birth to birth to three, four, five. Okay. At this point, you know, how is their coordination? How is their ability to control a crayon, hold on to objects, um, keep their body in control? Um, how is their ability to attend? Interestingly, it's really about age three, where you really start to see whether a child has the ability to attend um, for a for a given amount of time or not. So there's a lot of early indicators where a child may be at risk for a learning difference. Um, but I think sometimes when kids get into school, we talk more about um, they may just be he's it's he's a boy boys acquire language later than girls um he's busy but i don't think this is adhd and that's one thing i think it's really important for your listeners to realize that dyslexia and adhd tend to be comorbid they tend to run together and so you might have a child where you have adhd indications so they're inattentive or they, you know, they move around a lot. If they're asked to do a task, maybe they get up and avoid it. And we attribute that to ADHD, but sometimes it's really dyslexia. And sometimes <laughs> dyslexia can present as ADHD. So you have to be, you have to be really kind of aware of, of that fact in and of itself. But, you know, I always look at when I talk to parents, you know, what time of day are you asking the kids, to, you know, what time of day are they doing their homework? Are they a child that needs to come and run and have energy and get exercise um, before they sit down and do it? Are they a child that's expected to go immediately after seven or eight hours of learning to go home and get that homework done? You know, are they noticing that there's a lot on a page you know, the page is very full, maybe small print, maybe small areas in which to do work, um, blanks that might not be long enough for them to put answers in the blanks. Um, so is the frustrational level going up because of quantity, a lack of white space, small text, um, et cetera? Is the language such that the it's unfamiliar to the child? Um, is the child able to verbally tell you what they need to do or what the answers are, but they can't translate it to the paper? You know, I've got a lot of kids that can tell me what to do, but if I said, okay, now write that down for me, their ability to take what's in their head and put it into the written word is compromised. So, you know, looking at those sorts of things, um, you know, are we asking the child to sit for until it's finished or are we okay with doing three problems and a break, three problems and a break? Um, do they, um, do they have the tools that they need? Are they organized at home? Is their binder organized? Do they have, um, do they have a process through which they do the homework? Do they have to do it online and do an electronic submission or can they do it by paper and take it in? These are all factors that play into success at homework, but they also re reflect a child's ability to organize his or her life, which falls under the executive function column of, of school life, organization, planning, task initiation, impulse control, all of those sorts of things can be an, often are a byproduct of a child with a learning difference. So, you know, it's, it's not as easy to tease out the homework issue. Like here at Brighton, we teach our kids how to do homework. So just 
the Monday after we came back from Hurricane Ida was the first time they went home with homework. Since school started, we've been teaching organization of materials. What materials do I need to have at the ready to do my homework? Um, how do I organize my binder so everything has a place? Everything is dated. All of our students have the same binder. All of our binders are organized in the same way, whether they're in first grade or whether they're in 12th grade. Um, how do I use our, our student um, system, our online system, so that I know how to submit my work successfully? Where do I find my assignments? Um, how do I access my downloads? Um, what do I, what's my workspace at home? Do I have everything I need at home? Can I work with music? Can I work with TV? Um, we, we played all sorts of scenarios out for our kids, first grade to 12th grade. And then we throw in organization of time. How much time does it take me to do this task? What's my estimate? Um, if it took me longer, why? If, it, if I was quick at getting my homework, getting that task done, why? So we're wanting them to be able to be thoughtful and plan, plan well so that when they get to that age where they have volleyball, they have um, two papers due on a certain day, that they're able to back plan from due dates and get their lives in order so that they're not, we're not having a battle at home the night before, you know, a paper or a project is due because we didn't plan accordingly. Um, you know, so that, that piece goes into the homework arena too. And the other thing for us, and honestly, there really is no research out there that substantiates that large quantities of homework after school is beneficial for any child. I mean, we don't like as adults going home and doing an extra two hours worth of homework. And I understand that there are college prep schools and schools designed to move to kids on, to move kids on at a, at a quick pace. For our kids, we're going to give some homework, but we're not going to bury them because their cognitive load every single day far exceeds what yours might be your mind might be because they're really having to work and if they're adhd on top of it the task is doubly difficult they're having to keep that keep that mindset of i'm in class i have to focus um i have to you know have my materials ready i have to be ready to participate i have to you know get, take all this information in, hold it in my brain long enough to use it successfully and then i want them to go home and do another two hours without the supports necessarily that they have in the classroom it doesn't make sense for us so we'll give some and that kind of grows as they move into high school but even my high school students we don't bury them because the the results that we get are, are um not always what we want them to be so we, you know, why set them no. up in a situation where they're going to not necessarily be as successful as we hope? Does that make sense? That is no, absolutely not. Ringing true, kind of made me wish I was there. You know, make life a little bit easier. You know, for me. So, with that it, said, it, just, always... it has to be that way for us. You know, but I mean, the thing the thing that breaks my heart most is when. I mean, there's a lot of things that I worry about with these kids because they are bright you know they have average to above average intelligence you know our graduates have gone on and done great things both in college in the professional world um in the entrepreneurial world um you know so i i worry about you know pigeonholing our kids you know 
that there's only one way to go and that might be college. I think we've, you know, we've got kids that have started businesses on their own and make more money than I do. We have, you know, a guy who, you know, tried to go to, tried to start out a BRCC and now he has a job at Shintech and he's making six figures welding. And he came in to see me. He said, Miss O, you know that I can't be in a classroom. I have to have my hands busy. And Mm -hmm. helping our kids figure out where that path is. You know, my kids who know they're going to go into the, into the trades, you know, I've got a junior who's already welding. I've got, I mean, I've got kids who have bright futures ahead of them. um, And I want them to be able to have the tools that they need. Um, I want them to be able to have the strategies in place for them to support themselves in whatever that endeavor is. But really, most importantly, I want them to know that they can do whatever they put their mind to it. Just like you decided to fly planes, I want them to be able to dream big. So, um, you know, if they need to read audio books, because we call that ear reading, and it fires the same parts of the brain that reading with your eyes does, then let them ear read. They don't have to necessarily look at a book if they're auditorily strong and they comprehend better from an mm. auditory standpoint than a visual standpoint. I want them reading everything that they can through their ears, not with their eyes. Um, but then again, sometimes that doesn't play itself out. So they've got to know how to read. They've got to know how to decode. They've got to know how to find the saline information. Um, so I think as, I think as te- uh, as research grows and our ability to study the the human brain and the language acquisition process that happens at birth and goes on through life, you know, the the more refined and the more um, the more effective our approaches and strategies are going to be, um, and the sooner we get them, the better off we are, and the better off they are. Um, but sometimes that just doesn't happen, and so we try to work as much magic as we can as quickly as we can. Well, sounds like you guys are doing amazing things over there. And there's probably a long list of people that could use it, you know, as well. One in five. Think about that. 20% of the population it's estimated has dyslexia. One in five. So if you're, if you're in a public school and you've got 25 kids in your classroom in all likelihood, you have at least five students that have a language-based learning difference. And that, that includes not only dyslexia, but dysgraphia, which is the writing process, being able to express oneself in written form. Dysgra- dyscalculo, which is math, its own unique language, right? And then you've mm-hmm. got the ability to take information in and process it. You have the ability through eyes and through ears. So there's auditory processing. Um, The speed with which we process information is impacted through learning differences. Um, The ability to retain information and use it, our working memory can be compromised through by learning differences. So it's, you know, it's not just sort of like dyslexia, but I can have a child that is dyslexic, has slow processing speed and slow working memory. That child's going to work really hard. They have to be really, really a hardworking kid. And we, our message to our kids is, um, yeah, it's going to take you longer. You're going to have to work harder. And there's nothing wrong with that. You know, there's nothing wrong 
with that. I have a student that I tutor um, who goes to a local school, not Brighton, and I've tutored her since she was a fourth grader and she's a diagnosed dyslexic um, with auditory processing deficiencies. Um, and she's a sophomore now. And we were, I saw her yesterday and she, we were talking about what she wanted to do. And I just looked at her. I said, what have I told you ever since I started working with you? She said, I can do anything I want, but I'm going to have to work harder and smarter than everybody else. And she's got the no. best ethic because we developed that early. Um, and she knows how to accommodate. She knows she might not always test the best, but boy, she can do great work on projects and she never misses homework assignments. And so she might not always test well, but she's got the strategies where she can, you know, still get really good grades using her areas of strength. You know, she she gets a little bit anxious on the testing side. Well, she's got all this other stuff to bolster her. But she she's very comfortable with the fact that, yep, she's a dyslexic, but it isn't going to stop her unless she allows it to stop her. Um, so that's the, that's so many messages we try to get to our kiddos. But that's a big one is to advocate and to know who you are, celebrate who you are, not be defined by your learning difference and go out and set your goals and work hard. Well, I think that sums it up right there. <laughs> you guys you got, got a lot going on and I think that it really does. I think it sums it up. I think that's where if more people knew what you guys were doing, might like you said, one in five, you know, one so in it's five. probably. Now, I guess I'll kind of wrap us, you know, here on the end. Do you guys do the testing as well for parents to find out? So we do, and I, I was going to do add on before we signed off here. Um, we do offer free screenings. So mm -hmm. Teresa Hastings, who is our director of reading therapy and testing, we do free screenings. Um, and all anybody could call the school and set up a free screening. Um, we don't do testing externally so if a if a parent wanted to know whether or not their child had a learning difference we would refer them to any number of the local educational psychologists in town and recommend that they do a full-scale psychoeducational evaluation now our screening can tell us whether there are areas at risk but we can't diagnose. We're not educational psychologists. So if we had a student come in and, and we did a screening and let's say they showed high level at risk for working memory, high level at risk for phonological awareness, you know, then Teresa would say, it's my recommendation that you go seek out a psychoeducational evaluation. And then that is far more in depth than, you know, a screening tool is for us. Um, we do regular walkthroughs on Wednesdays at 9 a.m. Um, so um, we can make appointments for those and our director of admissions, Angel High, um, and the rest of the administrative team meets with the families and we talk about the school, we give them a tour, we take them into classrooms um, and give them a sense of what Brighton is like um, in our admissions process. We um, do have teachers here that will tutor students. Um, and I say that because I know um, for some tuition, even though our tuition is very reasonable, for some tuition um, can be prohibitive. 
but we do have teachers and we have students from outside of Brighton that come and get reading therapeutic um, services from us. Um, and then in the summers, we have our summer, um, our Brighton summer camps, both for elementary and for middle high school students that are open to everybody. Any of our educational forums are open to everybody. Um, and actually in October, we're having our first symposium on the uh, October 30th that will be open to teachers, homeschool families, um, parents, anybody that wants to come and learn more about dyslexia, executive functioning skills, social pragmatics, um, anything that we can possibly provide to help families, teachers, administrators, students, pre-service students at LSU come and learn more about this. You know, we are committed to helping provide information on that. So um, they can always visit our website, uh, www.thebrightonschool.org for further information on those, on those events. Um, and then, you know, if anybody just wants to shoot off an email and say, can I just get, can I just talk to someone, you know, any of us here are willing to do that. Um, it's important. We, we have kids that are, that need what we have to offer and whether it's through a parent, whether it's through a symposium or whether it's in our classroom, you know, we are happy to, to share the information that we have. Well, I appreciate you sharing all this with us today. This was very informative. I hope some people got something out of it. I know I did. Um, and it sounds like you guys have a lot going on. So, Well, I can't thank you I, enough for giving us your time and allowing us to talk about this wonderful school, but, you know, this part of education that we're also very passionate about. And um, no, I, we do. I tell everybody you've got more important things to do than talk to me all day. So <laughs> it's... Um, <laughs> So I appreciate you making some time. We'll have to have you come back, kind of fill us in on what's We'd going on. We'd be happy to. Got, got some things coming up, and we'll get have some new information. We'll schedule it next month or so to come back and tell us what's happening. Sounds great. Wonderful. Thank awesome. you for your time. I appreciate Brandon. You take care. Thank you. Thank you, Thanks. you too.